the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic. And yeah, it's been a wild ride, even since I spoke to you guys last uh, at the end of the week. Since then, the Washington football team's game against the uh, Philadelphia Eagles was delayed until Tuesday, which is why Sunday night, and I'm still home uh, in the D.C. area. Uh, Washington has had players come off the COVID list now, six in total, including Jonathan Allen and Montez Sweat. The Eagles had a player go on today. We still don't know what's going to happen if either Taylor Heineke or Kyle Allen is going to test out of the protocol. A ton is up in the air. It is a wild scenario, to say the least. Um, Because the situation changes constantly, I didn't want to have another podcast just focusing on this game and this scenario because... Everything changes by the minute, but I also didn't want to have nothing since there's no game until Tuesday. So here's what I did. I called up my friend Al Galdi, of course, host of the Al Galdi podcast. And I said, Al, let's have a conversation. Let's come up with the way I do this when I have uh, writers from the uh, opposing teams on where we each come up with three questions about our respective about the uh, the opponents or, or things involving the teams. So Al and I did the same thing involving the Washington football team. Um, so, yeah, we did talk a little bit about this game, of course, and I will hear in just a second. But Al and I talked about things pertaining to this current team. For example, do we think the defense now is actually a good defense um, you know, compared to what we saw in the beginning of the year? Or is it still are there still questions? Obviously, yes, we discussed the quarterback situation. Has Taylor Heineke shown enough to justifiably be uh, be the starter for next year what about what if Kyle Allen gets in the game hey we all thought Landon Collins was probably gone at the end of the year based on his contract is that still the case now that he's delivered a pretty good year what about their needs beyond quarterback what's next on the list uh Al and I got into all that and a bunch more including uh thoughts on the stadium uh, and the team name situation as well. So a lot to get to with Al Galdi. Always a fun conversation. I'll get to that in just a second here on the Standard Groom Only podcast, which you can listen to on iTunes or Spotify or on the Athletic app or anywhere you do your uh, podcasting. Of course, you can also follow me on Twitter at Ben Standing and subscribe to The Athletic to read me over there. Um, so just quickly, so obviously the game was postponed from Sunday to Tuesday. Um, look, I think this comes, what, the initial reaction for people that I've seen on both sides seems to come down to where, whether you are rooting for or paying attention to which team you're rooting for or paying attention uh, to more. Obviously, here we're here in Washington. We're living this scenario where Washington has had 25 players go on the COVID list. It numbers down to 16. But it's built a, a ton of players. Um, it appears the maj- almost the overwhelming me overwhelming amount of them are asymptomatic, according to the own uh, team physician who spoke with NFL reporters um, over the weekend. Uh, so we'll see where Washington is at by the time we get to the game time. They can make moves up until Tuesday at 4 p.m., meaning players can still test out of the program. We'll see if Kyle Allen or uh, Taylor Heineke does that, but. The NFL had three teams having similar situation, you know, three teams in total having a similar situation to Washington, but it isn't just that. It's also society at large. There's a lot of this going on. NBA is, is postponing games. Uh, there's a lot happening around around the world, and obviously the NFL, I, in my opinion, determined that, look, if we don't do this for this team now, right, 
if we don't do if we don't do this for these teams right now, then how do we do it going forward if these cases continue to rise, which it seems like we're heading in that direction with this new Omicron variant. Um, so they went that route. Now, obviously, if you're on the Philly side, they're going to have a different view of this. They're going to say, hey, the, the, the Eagles are getting hosed. Same with the Browns, same with the Raiders uh, involving their uh, the game. Oh, sorry, not not the not the Browns. The Browns are on the uh, the the, uh, the other end of that. In, in any event, so there's there's a lot there's a lot of this going on, right? I get it. I don't know what else, I don't know what to do, uh, and I'm not saying anybody's asking for my opinion on that. I'm just saying the game got moved. It's hard for me to sit here and argue that it was the wrong move, even if I understand three teams in the short term. Are, are taking a disadvantage. And of course it means a shorter turnaround for week 16's game for Washington. They will finish Tuesday night in Philly. And by Sunday night, we'll have to be playing the Cowboys. Um, you know, the Eagles are going to have a similar quick turnaround. It's all kinds of problems. It's nothing's ideal. It is what it is, but it's an interesting to see the two sides. Um, I tweeted out earlier, my colleagues who cover the Eagles, Zach Berman and Bo Wolf, they do fun things together. They did like an email exchange back and forth in which they took it from the from the Eagles' angle. It was interesting, like I said, to see their first reaction was to sort of say, eh, this doesn't make, this seems like the Eagles are getting screwed, yet they come back. They ultimately also met me kind of in the middle of the, but, you know, something needed to, to, to give here based on where we are as a society. So, in any event, the game will happen. And the big question, of course, is who's going to be out there for Washington? Like I said, they get back five defensive linemen in the last couple of days, Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat, James Smith-William, Casey Tuhill, and today Daniel Wise. Also, Cam Sims comes off the list today. They they have Monday and Tuesday to have more players come off. Uh, you know, Ron Rivera today suggested that both Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke, based on the uh, based on the, the the certain numbers that you want to see with regards to um, to, to the virus. Uh, the numbers are, are, are starting to go in a favorable direction for them, according to Rivera. That doesn't mean they will be testing negative before or, uh, multiple times before Tuesday, but that's the hope. Uh, beyond that, you know, Washington, you know, their defense is in a pretty reasonable shape all of a sudden with the line, with a lot of the line back. There's a question at cornerback still without Kendall Fuller in there. It's William Jackson on the outside, Danny Johnson in the slot, and then I don't know. Daryl Roberts, I guess, but he hasn't played one defensive snap this year. Um, maybe you move Bobby McCain over there a little bit because you have better safety depth with DeShazer Everett and Jeremy Reeves, but I, I don't know. Th- th- that's going to be the question there. And then offense, yeah, who is it going to be? Uh, Garrett Gilbert was signed on Friday. Garrett Gilbert was taking the first – he was taking the the reps that the starter would usually take in the open part of practice. I, it, if I had to guess right now, I would say it's him – over Kyle Shermer, who's been on the practice squad basically all year. Obviously, it's weird to have a guy be here for a handful of days versus a guy that's been here all year and say it's the handful of days guy. But Gilbert has started a game in the NFL last year for Dallas. He has some familiarity with um, the Carolina system from his days there in 2018 with the Panthers. Um, He, oddly enough, lost his job in 2018 to Taylor Heineke. And then when Taylor Heineke got hurt, he came back to back up Kyle Allen and then played week 17 of that year because Kyle Allen got hurt. What a what a bizarre world this whole Carolina-Washington connection is. Uh, in any event, that's where we're at on the, on that front. We're going to have to you know wait and see by the time you hear this podcast. Maybe we, maybe we already know. 
it, needless to say, it's a big difference between having two guys, you know, in Heineke or Kyle Allen versus any of the other group. But that's what we're going to have to wait and see. Uh, beyond that, yeah, you can read more over on The Athletic. Uh, Zach Berman and I did a uh, sort of a, a breakdown from each of our perspectives on what's going on. So you can check that out over on The Athletic. Uh, beyond that, let's get into this. Uh, Al and I go for a bit. Uh, I always enjoy picking his brain. We get into a lot of topics, a lot of evergreen topics, but some things certainly pertinent to the situation on hand. So, uh, and by the way, uh, if you want to have other other conversations I've had over the last few days, um, in the previous podcast, I spoke with uh, the Athletics uh, National uh, NFL writer, uh, Sheil Kapadia. We talked a bunch about things, that, bigger picture stuff, Super Bowl contenders, the NFC coaching decisions, appreciation for Ron Rivera in light of Urban Meyer, and some thoughts on the game specifically. So you can check uh, that out this week. I also talked to NFL draft analyst Jordan Reed, Grant Paulson, Matt Paris. You can check all that out over on uh, over on on this podcast. But uh, you can check it out from from the previous episodes as well. We've still got a couple days to listen. But here we go. My conversation with the great Al Galdi here on the Standard Group Only Podcast. All right. As promised, joining me on the podcast, a person when I ask people who do we want me to have on the podcast, it's always a request to have this guy on. He is the great Al Galdi. Al, it's Sunday. It is the weirdest thing ever. It's Sunday afternoon, and you and I are talking, which makes no sense based on how these things normally work. But, of course, nothing's making sense since last week when it comes to the Washington football team. Very strange having a Sunday, first of all, in which you and I speak mid-afternoon, right? Like while NFL games are going on. But I'm all confused. I mean, because Tuesday night this week is like our Sunday. So this Sunday should be more like our Friday. Is, is that how I should be looking at it? I don't know. But uh, sure. it's been an odd week, really week plus for sure. So glad we can try to establish some normalcy here with our conversation. I appreciate you having me on. I mean, it's almost weird. The Dallas game was a week ago today, and it feels like it was five years ago, considering the amount of things that have happened, of which, look, I'm not just diminishing any of this COVID conversation because it's it's important from a societal standpoint and people are getting sick and all that. But from a football perspective, it's just so hard to kind of fathom what is really happening here because of the fact of uh, these players are being, you know, the, the rules are just sort of, everybody's trying to figure it out on the fly. Washington's had 25 players test um, or be placed on the COVID list, two were immediately or relatively immediately uh, tested out. And then the the doctor, Dr. S- uh, C- Casalero, who is um, Washington's chief medical officer, was on a call with NFL reporters yesterday and said of the 23 that were still around at that point, uh, only two were showing any kind of symptoms um, that he would have thought would be curious if he didn't know that they were positive. I mentioned all this not to, to get into the COVID discussion. It's to say it's hard to know what to make of any of this from a team perspective. They don't know who they're exactly they're going to get back. They have gotten a few guys back already, notably a bunch of the defensive linemen. But the question is, you know, are they going to have the quarterbacks back? We're not going to dwell on this a ton. We're going to get to, as I stated in the intro, uh, I told Al, we're going to have a fun conversation about we're going to go back and forth with questions like I've done with some of the writers on the on the. Uh, opposing teams having fun talk. I don't even know what Al's going to ask he doesn't know what I'm going to ask random stuff but just in terms of this game can we can you even contemplate what this means without knowing who the quarterback is 
It's very hard. I mean, I've tried to think about, like, is this like anything we've ever seen as Washington fans? And the obvious comp is the famous replacements game against the Cowboys. But beyond that, I'm not sure that there's ever been anything like this. Now, I think what's funny is this. If the quarterback thing gets sorted out by Tuesday night, i.e. if Taylor Heineke and or Kyle Allen becomes available, it actually becomes a game in which, yeah, you're missing some key guys. But it's not nearly as bad as it could have been. Like, already, you look at what happened over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Jonathan Allen now is back. Multiple key edge defenders are back. Montez Sweat and Casey Tuhill and James Smith-Williams. Cam Sims is back. Daniel Wise is back. So, you know, you still worry about people like Kendall Fuller and Cornelius Lucas in terms of their availability, Cameron Curl. But if you get the quarterback back, that is like a big piece of this puzzle. So, I mean, even if everyone else remains out, it's not good, okay? And this is still a daunting task, Washington trying to win this game. But the quarterback thing really is everything. And if you can get Heineke or Allen for this game on Tuesday night, I think the perception of this game drastically changes because there does seem to at least be some momentum right now in terms of Washington coming out of the outbreak and, you know, getting back uh, some of the artillery here. Yeah, we went from most of the week discussing how is their defense going to hold up at all to, oh, actually, the defense isn't looking that bad now, but the question is about the offense. So we'll see what happens. But as Al and I are talking Sunday afternoon, Washington still has 48 hours for players to test out of the program before the game, 7 o'clock on Tuesday. So there is time. Ron Rivera expressed some optimism today about Taylor Heineke and uh, Kyle Allen in that regard, but we'll have to just uh, – we'll, we'll have to see – um about that so al let's get to some randomness like i said i'm viewing this as sort of a a bit of an evergreen uh conversation to a degree but whatever i i there's no there's no there's no uh limitations you're allowed to go in any direction you want something immediate something long-term big picture something we haven't discussed in a year something you've just been in that side in that big brain ears and You've just been wanting to go with whatever you got. So I'll, as, as the guest, I'll let you go first, if you'd like, uh, unless you want to uh, defer to the second half. Uh, and uh, we can, uh, we can just go. Well, I'll, I'll try not to give up a touchdown by the opponent on its first offensive drive, like Washington's defense has done way too often this season, but here would be my sort of big picture question to get things going here. Is there anything within reasonable possibility, and I'll let you define reasonable possibility however you want it, that would make you believe that Washington should stick with Taylor Heineke as the team's starting quarterback for next season? Like, is there anything he could do within reason the rest of this season, or however long you deem this season is going, that would alter the what I think is consensus opinion of yeah, Heineke's nice, but he's not the guy. You can't move forward with just him as your primary guy. Is there anything within reason that Taylor could do? Yeah, I mean, so I guess within reason, as you're saying, how, how does one define that? They have four regular season games left and then potentially at the postseason. Obviously, if he has a if they have a good run, right, if he plays this week or not, or he's back by next week, let's just say, you know, and they, you know, win, win out or go three and one if he's able to play all four. And then the playoff game maybe beyond just being plucky like he was last year against Tampa Bay, he actually goes in there and pulls off a shocker. I guess if things like that were to happen, it would be hard to just simply dismiss it and say, well, you know, he's still undersized. He doesn't have the biggest arm. You have to be like, well, I mean, something is working here, right? I mean, he, he, he had prior to the Dallas game, well, so they're six and seven on the year, which means he's six and six as a starter, which is not, amazing but it's you know he he's doing he's done fine all that said i mean i just 
I, I just feel like that's like the, the, the longer shot of the, of the scenarios and the Dallas game, I think to me sort of was the point of it all, which is to say his ceiling is still not very high, but the downside is notable because of the fact that he doesn't have the biggest arm and not even so much the decision-making, but you know, there is a little bit of, there's a little bit of that. I just feel like the ceiling isn't there. And the, and he, and, and so to me, I just think the answer is probably not, but if they draft a quarterback in the first round or something like that, and they, and, and they just say, look, we're going to stay with Heineke as the guy until we figure out when this kid is ready. I mean, I guess that that's something I could potentially understand based on what we've seen to date. But in terms of him being the guy, I just don't think I can see that. But what, what about you? Yeah, so I think a few things here. First of all, it's really interesting with Heineke how high variance he is. Like, his good is quite good. The Heineke we saw against the Bucs, the Heineke we saw at the Panthers, that's really good. Like, if he played like that every week, he would be a franchise quarterback. The problem is he doesn't play like that every week. And when he's off, he's not off the way like a really good quarterback is off to where, okay, he's just mediocre. Like, no, his bad is quite bad. Like, the way he played – in that loss to the Cowboys was horrendous. And it wasn't all his fault. He had very little uh, help from his teammates, but still he was bad. He was really bad in that game. And so I, I think to me, I, I would define like what it has to be. He, Washington would have to go three and one minimum the rest of the regular season. He would have to play well to really well in all four games. So maybe not at the level he played at at Carolina, but something close to that in each of the four games and then do well in the playoff game and maybe even win a playoff game. And I think if he did that at that point, then I don't think it would be so bonkers to say, you know what, maybe this guy is worth seeing uh, for more of a look than just this season. I think the other wild card in all of this, too, is what do Ron and Marty and Martin and everyone else think of this quarterback draft class? Because this is not being built up to be a very good quarterback draft class. It doesn't mean that there won't be any good quarterbacks in it. But, you know, like there's kind of this assumption of what Washington is going to draft a quarterback. Well, what if Washington doesn't like any of the quarterbacks available to the team where it's drafting or available within reason to the team? So like, you know, you can't trade up to take the guy who you want. Well, then what? Do you just take a quarterback because you have to take a quarterback? Or do you say, you know, we don't really like Kenny Pickett. We don't really like Desmond Ritter. We don't really like Malik Willis. So instead of just taking a quarterback to take a quarterback, why don't we stick with Taylor for another year and, you know, see where this goes and maybe next year's draft is more welcoming to us taking a quarterback. So I think that's a big wild card in all of this. You know, they don't have their fully formed opinions on this quarterback draft class, but they have opinions. I'm sure that, especially Marty and Martin, have watched tape on some of these guys. I'd love to know what they think at this point of those guys. Uh, we obviously don't have any uh, indication on that. And I, yeah, I, I agree that that that's a big deal. The fact that this is not a robust free agent class. I mean, irregardless of whether the Aaron Rodgers and the Russell Wilsons get sprung free that's a whole other complicated thing, whether they would want to come here and all that. But, um, but yeah, it's not a great year for free agency. I also think as we're in this right now with four games to go and potentially looking at a game in which it's Garrett Gilbert starting a quarterback, and that would probably not bode well for their chances. What's their record at the end of the year? Because if Ron Rivera has two losing seasons in a row, I, for, who cares why the, the history books will just say, this is what it was. And I know they made the playoffs last year, but if it's two losing seasons in a row, and you go into next year with just a Heineke situation, do you think, oh, man, that could be – I mean, and the same thing would be with a rookie, let's just be clear. You're looking at potentially a third losing season in a row, and at that point, you know, regardless of what anybody thinks around Rivera, you know, your record is what it's – you know, you are what your record says you are kind of thing, and that would be my one question um, on, on that. Uh, I, 
I have a, I, I don't know if this is a full blown my question or this is a uh, supplement to your question. I'll, I'll let the jury decide here in a second, but we, we were discussing at the top that the idea of, hey, what if either Taylor Heineke or Kyle Allen is available? Does that change our view of this game? And what's interesting to me about this conversation from the last few weeks, and maybe it's just because Kyle Allen played in the Dallas game a little bit. He had a really nice throw to DeAndre Carter that if Carter had caught it, could have set them up to maybe get the game time touchdown. And it was a really great throw. And we've seen Kyle play and he's, he's okay. I mean, you know, but Kyle Allen has the, the prototype skills. He has the arm. He has the size, you know, he's another undrafted guy. Uh, I don't know what his ceiling is, but I bet it's higher than Taylor Heineke's just in terms of the, 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 the measurables and all that stuff. And the fact that we've all been talking about this is, well, at least if Kyle Allen can play, we can feel reasonable about this. Like there would be a shot. Does that say something more about how we view Heineke on some level and, or that maybe if Kyle Allen has been, would be, was playing, we don't really think the gap between these two guys is that big. Cause I don't really think that it is, but if you listen to the conversation often, it feels like people act like Kyle Allen is trash. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's trash. I thought he played the best of any of Washington's starting quarterbacks last season. I mean, Heineke had the best game, but if you look statistically, like Kyle Allen's QBR for last season blows away the QBRs that Alex Smith and Dwayne Haskins put forth. Now, it was a small sample size of just four games, but, you know, I know people say, like, Kyle Allen has no chance to ever be anything in the NFL. It's like, well, I don't know about that, but he wasn't that bad last season, and for a while with the Panthers a few years ago was actually pretty good. And then, you know, the bottom fell out. There are two things though, I'd say with Kyle Allen, number one, the head coach who traded a fifth round pick to get Kyle Allen seemingly has been very down on Kyle Allen for months now. And I don't know that we've ever really gotten a true explanation for why I know the injury from last season has been brought up and maybe that's the reason, but Ron Rivera, and this goes back to the off season when he was given opportunity to say why, he would not include Kyle Allen in the quarterback competition to whatever extent that ever existed between Ryan Fitzpatrick and Taylor Heineke. Ron would, wouldn't include Kyle Allen in the competition and wouldn't really explain why. You had Ron on your podcast in June. You asked him. You gave him the opportunity, the platform from which he could have said, yeah, you know, with Kyle, it's the ankle injury, and that's why I'm not including him in this quarterback competition. Dog. Ron didn't do that. He didn't take that opportunity. It was very strange to me. So, Ron, for whatever reason, is down on Kyle Allen. Ron has stuck with Taylor Heineke this season and has shown, like, no inclination to going to Kyle Allen. Whenever Ron gets asked, is Taylor's job on the line? Might you bench Taylor? You know, Ron got asked that after the Cowboys game. Ron's like, no, Taylor's our guy. And I think Ron's right to say that, but it's interesting. He's in no rush to go to Kyle Allen. So that's number one. Number two is Kyle Allen has a lot more NFL experience in terms of games played, or at least he did, than Taylor Heineke. Yeah. Kyle Allen's best to me, has not come close to Taylor's best. Like, if you take Heineke's best games, the Bucks playoff game, the Bucks regular season game, the game at the Panthers, the win over the Giants, the win at the Falcons, to me, you can't find Kyle Allen performances on that level. Now, that's not to say that Kyle hasn't had good games. He has. But to me, even though Kyle may have the physical tools that suggest a greater upside, the performance upside, I think, has been clear. Heineke's best has been better than Kyle Allen's best, at least so far. He certainly got Heineke's you know, got multiple checks in the intangibles category. And, and Allen is more of the traditional standard um, guy. It's always like how I view American soccer. It's like, however they train the American soccer players, they seem to take all the, 
creativity out of them and it's very robotic and it, whereas uh, international players seem to have a lot of flair heineke is the flair guy and kyle island is the robotic uh american guy but has or american soccer player but has some of the basic intangibles that you're looking for. I don't know. I just think it's been interesting. Everybody's acting like this last few days, like oh, as long as you get Kyle Allen back. And maybe that says more about what the other options are, because admittedly you just signed Garrett Gilbert on Friday and nobody has seen Kyle Shermer play. So it's like, uh, boy, anything's better than that, but I don't know. Just thought it was uh, interesting. All right. Since we went for a minute on that one, I'll, I'll count that as my, as my first question. Um, so we can go back to you. Uh, what, what do you got here for your second question? All right, so to me, one of the biggest questions with this Washington team early in the season when the defense was just awful, all right, and the defense was atrocious to me, really over the first eight games. I know there was talk of the defense getting better in the latter stages of those first eight games. It was all relative. It was still really bad. So the question to me was, was this a bad Washington defense, period, or was this just a good Washington defense that, for whatever reasons, had gotten off to a really bad start? And as those first eight games went on, I went from saying good defense with a bad start to just saying, you know what, this is looking more and more like a bad defense. Well, the defense has turned its season around. The defense to me has been really impressive in recent weeks. I thought the defense was more than good enough to win in that loss to the Cowboys. Of course, there's the uh, side topic of this rise of the defense has come with both Montez Sweat and Chase Young being out, but that's a separate conversation. But I ask you, now with the benefit of this 13-game sample size, is this a good Washington defense that just got off to a bad start? Or is this still not what you would call a good Washington defense? It's a good question. I, I, I think I'm sort of inclined to just say it's not a good defense, only from the perspective of, of like, okay, you mentioned no Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Well, obviously, if we're really viewing this team with them, then, I would, then like they have to be involved. I think it feels like it's been a more disciplined defense that what James Smith-Williams and Casey Tuhill in particular have provided when they were playing, and presumably they'll be both playing this week uh, now that they're off the COVID list, is that they were just following the orders. <laughs> you know, they were not freelancing the way clearly Chase Young and Montez Sweat were, or at least maybe Chase Young, to the degree that was a bit of a detriment to the group. So I feel like maybe Jack Del Rio, I think has done a pretty good job. I think he's actually, if, if before all this happened um, and the defense had continued to progress, I think people might've looked at him and said, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. They, he loses his two best defensive ends, you know, based on talent. And this is, and the group has now stabilized and been better. Boy, I don't know. Maybe we should reconsider Jack Del Rio for, I don't know, maybe even a head coaching job, depending on how you want to look at the world. But at the same time, I don't know. I still feel like there's just a lot of questions. I mean, Carol, like, like obviously they beat Tampa Bay. I'm not going to discount that Carolina, Cam Newton. I mean, you know, whatever he's, he's, he's looks relatively, relatively shot. Um, you know, there was the adrenaline of the game he, he had before this game, but that, but he looked relatively shot since Seattle and Russell Wilson, they've just been kind of a mess all year. It looks like they maybe have figured a few things out since Washington, but they were a, pretty much a mess and they were um, that whole game. The Raiders, had lost. I mean, look, we know what happened. They lost John Gruden, who wasn't just their head coach, but their offensive guy. They lose Henry Ruggs for horrible reasons, but that he was their biggest play receiver. So all the reasons why the Raiders had a big offense were kind of out the window there. Um, and then the Dallas game, look, I, I mean, Dak Prescott wasn't very good, but Dallas was kind of doing what they wanted to. Um, for the most part, Dak Prescott was just kind of a mess. So I don't know. It's almost like I don't even know how well they've been playing. I just think they've been more disciplined 
And I think from a scheme perspective, they've done a better job of, for, of letting the other team make the mistakes, you know, the, 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 the going with more like two deep safeties kind of thing, keeping it in front of them, avoiding those big plays that were plaguing them earlier in the year. So I have, an, I have one more addendum to that, but I don't want to keep talking. So what, what's your take um, on that? Yeah, I mean, it's like a lot of things. It'll be determined over the final four games, but I am starting to lean toward this defense isn't bad. Like, it's not great. You certainly can't say that, but I think especially the secondary, the the improvement in the secondary, this is one of the great, like, in-season improvements I can remember from a a Washington position group. The secondary was so bad during that eight-game stretch to begin the season, and I think it's been so much better. You're right. Like some of the offenses Washington has faced recently have not been juggernauts, but Brady and the Bucs, that's impressive. You know, Carr and the Raiders, the Raiders came into that game having been probably the best deep passing team in the NFL this season. Washington did a very good job in that regard. And while uh, the Cowboys did have some offensive success, it's not like the Cowboys were great offensively. Maybe some of that was just Dak having an off day, but I think some of that maybe too was Washington's defense. So I, I think that this is, Certainly not the elite defense we were hoping it would be, but I think we are starting to get to a point here to where we can say, all right, you know what? It doesn't suck. I mean, because it sucked over the first eight games. It doesn't suck now. And now you're just trying to identify, okay, like, where are you on that good scale? Like, is it just, you know, kind of sort of good? Or is it maybe actually, you know, this is a pretty good defense, terrible start, but it got better as the season went on. I think this is a big deal, though, because, like, for all the talk about Heineke and the quarterback thing for this offseason, it's a problem if you have to revamp the defense this offseason, too. Like, if you have to devote resources to quarterback and to defense, like, that's an issue. If you can at least exit this season feeling like the defense isn't a lost cause and you do have a lot uh, with which you can work, I think that's really good for Washington. So I think that's kind of an underrated storyline the rest of this season. What truly is this defense? Yeah, for sure. And just to, like, sort of clarify my own thinking here, like, I guess I was saying, like, I don't I'm not saying it's a bad defense, but relative to the expectations of where they were, I oh, don't yeah. think – I don't think we're, we're we're sniffing that now. Maybe with Montez Sweat back, if he's we'll see where he's at physically. If he's able to play at the level we saw last year, combined with everybody else having stepped up their game, then maybe things can get a little more more interesting. The the, the one thing about this defense, though, that like to me is when did this defense actually take off? Like like you said, when they were still in the losing streak, people said they were starting to play better, but that's debatable. But there were some improvement, at least in some statistical categories. It was when they moved Landon Collins out of the deep safety areas to this, you know, hybrid linebacker situation where he's closer to the line of scrimmage or playing more zone or keeping him, uh, at, which helps keep him out of being exploited down the field. And that to me is kind of when things really turned. And my issue is, you know what? I think this is on the coaching. You know, the first game of the year, Cam Curl played less than 50% of the snaps. He didn't even play, uh, you know, like he basically plays every single snap now. He didn't get, I think, uh, I think what I want to say is he didn't get over 80% until like week five or six. Uh, they should have made that move a lot earlier. It's not like we all weren't talking about this the whole summer. Should, you know, what is, is Landon Collins? You know, the whole thing is Landon Collins a linebacker, right? Or what's the deal there? I think they were too deferential to a guy who clearly takes a lot of pride in what he does and didn't want to be viewed as a non-safety, which is reasonable and fine. And maybe from a chemistry perspective, maybe Rivera made the right move, but from a play perspective, that took way too long. Uh, I don't understand why Cam Crow wasn't playing more off the jump. And because of that, I think was why we saw this defense really struggle on top of, again, other other variables, including the defensive ends, not playing up to the level we expected. So I, I, I want to give the credit to the coaching staff for the turnaround. But at the same point, I think it took way too long 
this is more my assumption than not, but just reading between the tea leaves, um, that that's kind of what happened. And I wish they had done this something sooner um, than they did. Yeah, there's a lot of mystery to me with the Landon Collins thing. This isn't new that like he struggles in coverage. This is why Dave Gettleman let Landon walk in free agency in the 2019 offseason. This is why Gettleman didn't franchise tag Landon in the 2019 offseason. Didn't want to pay big money to a box safety. Didn't want to pay big money to a safety who isn't very good in pass coverage. So this isn't new and that it took this long to make this change, I think is indicative of Ron wanted to give Landon a shot to play safety, quote unquote, his way, i.e. Landon's way. And that was a failure. And then Ron said, okay, now you're going to do things my way. But the question, of course, would be, why wasn't Landon doing things Ron's way from the get-go? Because Ron's way has led to a much more productive Landon. I mean, he's clearly very sensitive about not being a safety anymore. I don't know why he cares. The check's clear regardless of what your position is. And he's doing well in this position. Everyone acknowledges that. So just go with it, man. Like plenty of guys as they get older go from being in pass coverage to being in different roles. And, you know, Landon's coming off at Achilles was never great in pass coverage to begin with. So, you know, what you do well, do that. And Washington finally has Landon doing that. And it's been good to see. Just as an aside, I think it's going to be really interesting. You know, this offseason is the first offseason in which Washington can reasonably escape that Collins contract. Do you do that or has his improved play made that contract more palatable? That's still a lot of money to be paying someone who doesn't really help you that much in pass coverage, but he has been good. So I think that'll be a fun thing to follow. Yeah, that, that was, I was actually going to go with that as my second question in light of this conversation. So Landon Collins, this current year, the 2021 season, his cap hit is 16.9 million. However, if they had released him, the dead cap number is 26 million. So it would have been... Like it, like it, it just made no sense to to, to do it. They already sunk cost. Next year, the cap hit is tw- is sixteen million two hundred thousand. This is according to Spotrack, but his dead cap is now down to nine point six million. So it's nine point six million no matter what. You're basically paying a little under seven to keep him, and that is a lot of money. But he's also played pretty well, and I agree with you. I think it's an interesting question on a lot of fronts. You know, Bobby McCain is a free agent. Whether they re-sign him or not, they're going to need another free safety there. And if it, if it's if it's Bobby McCain, it probably won't cost you a ton. And I think he's been reasonable this year. But if you go for something more significant, then that's going to cost you money. Um, I think I do think it's an interesting wonder. And also, like they're going to have to get another linebacker here. I will assume John Bostic isn't back. You know, uh, we've gone through this whole year at this point, or almost most of the year. Jamin Davis is still a work in progress which to some degree is reasonable. And on the other hand, a little, a little dis- discouraging because you kind of were hoping to, to be able to see more. So maybe you still need to get another linebacker, even if it's just in the base four, three for depth. So if you do that, then like, okay, well, wait, now what? Now, if we're paying Landon Collins this kind of money and in a base set, is he even on the field? Because we have Cam Curl and we have this, I know they don't play a ton of base, but I do think it's part of the equation. And yeah, I do, I do think that's going to be something to uh, consider. So what would you do at this point? If that's the number, $16.2 million cap hit, but 9.6 million dead cap. So you can save, you know, whatever that is, a little under seven, but they have cap space as a team. What would you do? My lean right now would be to say bye-bye because I do think that you can approximate what Landon has been with a much cheaper option. Um, you know, Landon's been good. Uh, you know, I don't think we should overstate it though. I mean, it's not like he's been Troy Palomalu either. I mean, like, you know, he's been okay. He's been fine. He's made some plays, 
you know, some of the stuff's a little misleading. You know, he had two sacks in the win over the Cowboys. If you look at what those sacks were, they were Dak Prescott scrambles. And then Landon just happened to be the guy who like touched Dak when he was down or uh, guided Dak out of bounds. So, I mean, like, I think people need to calm down a little bit with this Landon Collins thing. I think if you're a good organization, you can find someone a lot cheaper who is as good, if not better. Uh, This upcoming draft is said to be loaded at the safety spot. So I think that's kind of interesting. Like maybe Washington can find itself a starting caliber safety, uh, you know, in round two, if you go quarterback in round one, that sort of a thing. Uh, But you're right. Washington does have the cap space. And, you know, it's not like it would be a crime against humanity to continue along the Landon Collins path if he continues to play well. It's interesting, too, with him. He's been around a long time. He's not that old numerically. He's still like in his mid-20s. He and Brandon Sheriff were both a part of that 2015 draft. Sheriff is like three years older than Landon. Sheriff is older for his draft class. Landon's young for his draft class. I know he has the torn Achilles in his, uh, in his, on his resume, but um, it's not like Landon Collins is, you know, 34 or something like that. So there is a case to be made for it. And I give him credit. Like he's done a good job in this new role. So the fact that he's made it a conversation when it seemed like a slam dunk just a few weeks ago that Washington would be cutting Landon uh, after this season, I think says a lot about how he has performed. Yeah, Collins and Heineke have both changed the the, the, the how we yeah. are looking at their situations to be like, eh, to be like, eh, well, I don't know, maybe we'll see. Yeah, he turns 28 in January. It feels like we act like he's 35 sometimes, myself included, yeah. but um, for, for sure. By the way, before I get to the next question, while we've been talking, the Eagles just announced that they put their starting guard Landon Dickerson on the COVID list. So I can only imagine how the reasonably minded folks up in Philadelphia are going to react to that. And, you know, potentially, obviously if it's one, it could be more before the game on Tuesday. So that, that to me is going to be a really interesting variable. And as somebody who's going to Philly, I'm going to do everything I can to not let the Eagles fans know that I'm in any way associated with the team that they may be really upset with um, (laughs) for this game, but that's something to keep an eye on now. Um, Boy, they they have been whining and crying about this change in the game, and uh, it's amazing to me. Read the policy. Read the memo that the NFL put out last July. You're allowed to postpone games this season. This thing that, like, the NFL said it wasn't going to postpone any games, the NFL never said that, okay? Read the memo, all right? With the, the NFL didn't change any rules in postponing this game. I get Eagles fans not being happy about this. I wouldn't be happy about this if I was an Eagles fan, but uh, the NFL did not do something – to like placate Washington here. The NFL did something that was well within reason in terms of the uh, policies that were laid out for this season. Yeah. And also, I mean, like the idea was if a team has just completely been derelict of duties, half their roster is unvaccinated, right. they're not doing anything to help. And if there was, if they were the rogue team, screw you, you're done. This is far beyond that. It's not just these three NFL teams, Washington, uh, Cleveland, and the Rams. It's all of sports. It feels like half the NBA is, is, is you know, NBA's canceled yeah. a bunch of games today or postponing games or something because of this. It, there's a society, societal uptick. They're reading the tea leaves. Things are happening. They're trying to adjust. I get it. But yes, I, I'm with you. I'd be pissed if I was an Eagles fan, but at the same point, it is kind of what it is. Um, I don't, I've lost track, but I'm, I'm just going to ask you my next question here. We're, we're going to go to the off season. If I asked you what was the number one need this off season, I think we would fairly say, almost regardless of what Taylor Heineke or anybody does down the stretches, they need a quarterback. What's number two? Well, I feel like this has been a need for years and every off season, we feel like the need has perhaps been addressed. And then every season comes and then we come to the realization that the need has not been addressed. 
But I think Washington needs to upgrade in terms of pass catchers. I think receiver and tight end still needs to be upgraded. And I'm not happy about saying that because we thought that receiver had been upgraded this past offseason with the signing of Curtis Samuel and the drafting of De'Ami Brown and Cam Sims is back a year older, a year wiser. And you also signed Adam Humphreys to whatever extent, you know, he was viewed as an upgrade. But I think the receiving core this season has been a disappointment. I think after Terry McLaurin, uh, this has been a very underwhelming receiving core this year. Uh, Curtis Samuel has given you next to nothing because of the groin. Deami Brown, for whatever the reason. The groin and not- the hamstring now. Let's be, let's be on the record. He's, he's got another injury. Right. Now, it's, now it's a hamstring. He did not practice. Yeah. I didn't. He didn't practice today either. So he's essentially going to be out for this week, which is a whole other thing. It's been like a lost season for him in year one of that contract. Deami Brown has had a very disappointing rookie season. He barely plays now, which is interesting. Uh, Cam Sims, I mean, it's every year it's the same thing with Cam Sims. Makes no sense why there's something about him. I don't know what it is that they don't want to, nobody wants to use him. He had, I mean, he has had a problem with drops, and maybe that's the thing, but he makes these great plays, but he doesn't play. And then at the end of the season, he plays more, and then we're like, wow, Cam Sims next season, we'll see what he does. And then the next season comes, and it's the exact same thing. He doesn't play. And he's the one guy, and he's the one guy with size. Like, I mean, it just is a basic, very, especially with the quarterback who throws high, it just seems like such the most natural thing. And they had a really good connection in the Tampa game with it without any, uh, you know, playing to practice time, essentially. I, I, it makes no sense. Very strange. You know, you've gotten some mileage out of Adam Humphreys and DeAndre Carter, but to me, it says a lot about the rest of the receiving core that DeAndre Carter is viewed as maybe having been your second best receiver this season. Okay. And he's done a nice job, but you know, that drop with the Kyle Allen pass against the Cowboys did him no favors, but then also tight end, you know, Logan Thomas now is coming off what we know is a torn ACL that was suffered late in this season. So his availability for the start of next season to me, would seem to be in question. I know it has been said that he'll be ready for next season. I don't know how you're certain of that. You know, with these ACLs, you just don't know. But even if he is good to go for next season, where are you from a standpoint of depth at tight end? Now, hopefully we see some more good stuff from John Bates, and maybe he proves himself to be a really good number two tight end, maybe even a a TE1 caliber type player. But, you know, you have Bates, you have Samus Reyes, who's obviously very raw. I, I think uh, some of the sparkle on Ricky Seals-Jones has come off with his recent hip injury and uh, some of these drops. He had two drops in that game against the Cowboys, including one on that two-point conversion attempt. So I, I think, again, I mean, again, every year we talk about this, but I think Washington has got to try to upgrade itself at the pass catcher spot. So talking receivers and tight ends. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, the Curtis Samuel thing, I mean, look, I, you know, I have I'm, I have no sense that we have all the details, considering how they have been hiding details on this throughout the process, uh, including not telling us about a surgery that he had months prior, um, and even now, you know, I don't I, I don't know if you made hay of this last week, but on mo- Monday after the Dallas game, I asked Rivera how come Samuel played less snaps than he had when it seemed like he was progressing. Was there a setback? He said no, it was a game plan thing. <laughs> okay, and then the next day. But they or the, you know, day or two later, they tell us he's got a new injury, and it, the whole thing makes no sense. So I don't know what's going on with that. But presumably, I would think, like to think that if he's healthy, you know, he should be. He should give them a help. And I think there is still enough other stuff there. And with Logan Thomas as healthy, he's obviously been pretty good. Now, obviously, that's a lot of ifs and buts. But 
they just haven't had this group out all you know together most of the year. Logan Thomas has missed, unfortunately, most of the year with multiple injuries. Now he's out for the year. Samuel hasn't played. So I don't. I mean, I'm with you. But they need they need more consistency from somebody else beyond Terry McLaurin. If Curtis, I mean, the thing about Samuel is he's not a real receiver to me. He's more of a gadgety playmaker kind of guy that you can kind of use in spots, which is good, important, but not a receiver. So that's what I was kind of hoping to see from Deami Brown. And look, you know, sometimes receivers can take a minute. And hopefully they, they, that's the case here because I did think he had some good skill skill set coming in. But, yeah, it wasn't there this year um, for sure. And I'm with you on the tight end. John Bates has been interesting, and I think this is a game he's going to be featured probably a lot. They have two tight ends, and Ricky Seals-Jones wasn't even at practice today with an illness. Uh, they, they didn't put him on the COVID list, so uh, we'll see about, about that. Um, he, here, here was my answer. I, I would say that – as a group, for the most part, the offensive line has probably been Washington's best group. Feels like it's been gotten a little leakier lately. But look, when you're on your fourth string center, and you know, you know, things like that. I mean, that's gonna you know happen to a degree. But here's here's the thing about this group next year. I don't have any idea, right? Who who's gonna be back? Look, look at it like this: Sam Cosby will be somewhere, whether he's at the right tackle or they move him to the left side, he'll be somewhere. Other than that, Brandon Scherf, I think people may be familiar with this. He's a free agent at the end of the year. I, I've said all along, there's, I mean, there definitely won't be a third tag. And I, if they haven't come up to a, a, a long-term agreement by now, I don't see it happening. So presumably he's moving on. Chase Ries was having a really good year. Really good. But he, coming off a, a, a significant injury, you know, we'll have to see where he's at. I would assume he will start if he's available, but he is coming off an injury. So we'll see. Okay. Uh, left guard. Okay. Eric flowers has been really good, but I'll, if I'm looking at the numbers, right, he's got a $10 million. His, his cap hit goes from 3 million this year to 10 next year. Is that going to be worth it for them? I, I don't know. I'm going to pull it up while we're talking here to make sure I have that right. And then Charles Leno is a free agent. I think Leno has been pretty solid, but he is a free agent. So they're going to have to make a determination there what to do. So my point is other than Sam Cosby somewhere, I don't have a clue what their offensive line is going to look like next year. So I'm not saying like, if they bring back everybody, then I guess it doesn't really count as a need, but at the same point, it is a, I think they're going to have to figure out what they have there and make some calls. Even though it means signing a guy like Leno now to an extension, do so like there are a lot more questions. I think on offensive line than maybe the conversation people are thinking about or having is, is exist. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of uncertainty. I, I know the one thing that gives me comfort with Washington's offensive line situation, maybe more than anything, is this offensive line coach, John Matsko, I think is the best O-line coach Washington has had since the greatest of them all in Joe Bugle. And Matsko, who has a very good reputation, so like the, the idea of him being a good offensive line coach, I'm not breaking news in saying that, but you know, when you have someone like this who seemingly can, you know, do the NFL's equivalent of turning water into wine and take backups and have them play at starter levels and, you know, take a fourth string center and keep Ismail and have him prepared and good to go to where he comes into play. And you don't really notice anything being different. If you have someone like that, that is so valuable. And so it almost becomes like, you know, as long as you have a decent enough level of talent along the offensive line, you'll be just fine. Cause you know, that Matt's go, is going to coach those guys up. So, like, I don't want to overstate what he is, but I think what he has been over these first two seasons is really good, and I think he's done a really good job. Washington's offensive line, each of these first two seasons of the Rivera era has been a strength, not a weakness, despite 
perception at times being to the contrary, and especially this season with all of the offensive line injuries. You know, Washington this past offseason did a really good job, right, of establishing depth, building up depth along the offensive line. We've seen that depth utilized this season, and we've seen Matsko coach up that depth this season. Like, I remember the angst of this past offseason. Oh, they cut Morgan Moses. What's going to happen? And, you know, oh, is this offensive line really going to be good? I mean, Chicago cut Charles Leno Jr. Like, how really good can he be? Eric Flowers, Miami didn't want him anymore. Is he really that good? All these guys have been good to great. And so I think if Matsko is what he certainly seems to be, you just got to keep bringing in the horses and he'll coach them up and Washington will figure it out. But to your point, contractually, there is a lot of uncertainty with this offensive line. That's that's obvious. And just looking at it, just to make sure I had it right. So with Eric Flowers, this year it was $3 million, $3 million salary, all dead money, no no savings, whatever. Obviously, they brought him in to, to play him. Next year, it's the opposite. $10 million cap number. No dead money. So if you if you released him, you would get get all the ten million back. Now, obviously, you can just look to negotiate a new deal. But I'm just saying, I don't know if they're going to want him on that number. So they may have to make some sort of a decision. And and also, they do have Wes Schweitzer, who was pretty solid in relief of uh, Sheriff when he played. So if you just plug him in Sheriff, maybe that solves one problem. I don't know what to make of Sadiq Charles at this point, but you know he exists too. Uh, so yeah, I know. Yeah, just it's 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 simultaneously a strength and a need. Uh, it feels like going into uh, to next year. All right. Uh, I think at, at a minimum, you have a, another question to ask. So uh, what, what do you got? Yeah. So we know it takes multiple years before you can pass full and definitive judgment on a draft class. Uh, but that said, this 2021 Washington draft class, as things stand right now, was this a bad draft for Washington? Jamin Davis, Samuel Cosme, Benjamin St. Juice, Deami Brown, John Bates, Derek Forrest, Cameron Cheeseman, William Bradley King, Shaka Tony, Dax Milne. They haven't all been bad this season. I'm certainly not trying to say that, but um, guys who we thought might be instant impact players have not been. Uh, injury has been a part of some of this for sure. Uh, what do we think right now about this 2021 draft class? Yeah, I mean, look, right now, if I had to say who's Washington's rookie of, uh, you know, draft pick of the year, I think I'd have to go with the long snapper, right? I mean, I guess you could make the case for John Bates, right? Who's been who's been fine, and maybe you know, I mean, Jared Patterson wasn't a pick, but you know, but we sort of lump him in. He's been, but he hasn't just played a ton. I mean, you know, I don't know, unless you're going to tell me Cheeseman's to blame for all the block kicks, which maybe he is. Um, yeah, it's it's I it's disappointing for sure. I really thought the third round pick, St. Justin Brown. We're going to be the impact guys this year. And St. Jude's did play early on and, you know, cornerbacks will have up and ups and downs, but then he had the concussion and really just hasn't been a, a, a around much uh, since. Um, and then De'Ami Brown, like you said, high expectations. And he was starting, you know, playing a lot with Curtis Samuel out and just never really got going to the point that they, you know, he got passed over by DeAndre Carter, a guy who, you know, I don't think I'm not even sure I had DeAndre. If I had DeAndre Carter on the original 53, it was to, as a returner. It was not to be uh, a receiver. So, yeah, I mean, I think you have to say for this year it's disappointing. I guess ultimately it's going to come down to what are you getting out of Jamin Davis, right? I mean, you know, everybody else can bomb to a degree, but if Jamin Davis, he plays well and he turns into a legitimate starter with his athletic skills and all that, then, you know, we're kind of overlooking a few things. And Cosme, I think, looked pretty good when he was out there, but then he's obviously been hurt. I hope the expectation is he'll be back this week. I, it's definitely a disappointment. I, I can't sit here and say, and I don't think you are either saying it's a bust or anything like that. Cause it is only the first year, but yeah, you're definitely not getting the warm and fuzzies um, out of this group. I mean, just looking to the 2020 class, even though chase young 
had a disappointing year and has been hurt. You still have Gibson. You still have Cam Curl. Just that alone is, you know, better. And those guys have obviously continued to play well this year. So, yeah, this class does not have any of those kinds of breakout performers compared to last year. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all for being patient with draft classes. We all understand you don't judge a draft class one season uh, off the draft class being established. That said, you'd like it so that uh, at least one or two of the picks gives you instant impact. You know, like it, it shouldn't be that all seven or eight picks, to whatever extent they stick with you, are guys who take multiple years to develop, especially your early round selections. And, you know, with Jamin Davis, I mean, it's been a very up and down first season. Like you said, Cosby, Cosby was the best of the bunch, but he's been hurt a ton this year. So it's hard to call this like a great rookie season for him. I actually thought Benjamin St. Juice had a chance to be the most impactful rookie for Washington this year. And, uh, you know, things got weird with him with this concussion situation, which is actually kind of uh, frightening with him. And uh, his playing time went down and the defense has gotten better with Danny Johnson on the field as opposed to St. Juice. I'm not saying St. Juice was the problem, but, um, you know, I think that's kind of interesting. And, you know, we talked about the Ami Brown. So we'll see. I mean, a year from now, we could view things entirely differently. But for right now, you know, this is an underwhelming 2021 draft class for Washington. I think that's safe to say. Yeah, I mean, and to the point of the defense earlier, I mean, it feels like Kendall Fuller, who we always talked about as being the slot guy, it feels like it's been better for him on the outside. And yeah. Danny Johnson, when he came into that Green Bay game, you know, really did kind of stabilize things, which, by the way, goes to my point about the coaching also. Look, I, I, don't, don't let me – pretend that I know more than Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio because that would be not true Danny Johnson played zero defensive snaps last year and somehow now he's become the go-to nickel <laughs> like what was happening last year uh that, that he couldn't even get on the field zero defensive snaps he was cut the start of this year and I'm not saying you should make I'm just saying like we go from that to this guy is playing so it's like on the one hand you give the credit for having the coach on the fly make changes on the other hand like well wait <laughs> what was going on uh what was going on over 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 here? But that's um that's a whole other story, I guess. Uh, but yeah, no, I think the rookie class is definitely because of this COVID situation has sort of we paused how we're viewing the season. And the Dallas game was you know a bit of a low point. That I, I don't know how you viewed it. I did not view it as a tale of two halves. They got worked for most of the game, and in the end, Dallas is kind of futzed around. Uh, but that's that aside, you know, they've obviously been playing better lately. We see what had to go this week. Um, but there are a lot of questions like when you don't have when you have all these injuries and the rookie class is not filling in the gaps, then, yeah, that, that's where you start having uh, more problems. Yeah, for sure. And going back to the Danny Johnson thing, it is interesting. I mean, I, I give Ron credit. He will get off of something if it's not working. You know, the Troy Appy thing of last season comes to mind of you know, he's riding Apke as a starting free safety. It's not working. Will Ron pull the plug on that? But, you know, you do wonder about some of these things of, you know, why were we in that position to begin with? And, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's you're not going to bat a thousand on your decisions. That's true. Um, but I, I think it has been definitely notable with the defense the last two years. You know, even something like Jeremy Reeves, right? Last season plays well for you at safety down the stretch. This season, you're having all kinds of problems in the secondary over the first half of the season, and Reeves can't even be made uh, a member of the active roster. Like, why was that? You know, DeShazer Everett wouldn't even be played on defense when he was the guy who was brought in for Apke last season, and DeShazer was the guy who hoped to stabilize the back end. Why, why was that? So it's kind of curious. I don't know if Ron changes his mind on people. I don't know if Ron just kind of gets stuck on ideas and wants to see them through. Like you said, 
he and Jack have the reasons for things. So we're not here to like crush them and bash them. But, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, it is interesting to look back on some of this stuff. And, you know, sometimes sticking with a guy works. Like I think sticking with Heineke worked because I don't think you have the four game winning streak. If you bench Heineke, say, you know, coming out of the bye, that kind of a thing. But sometimes sticking with a guy, you're like, why do we keep doing this? So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, obviously safety, like they, they tend to play those guys almost every snap and curl, um, McCain and Collins have largely been healthy other than Landon Collins missed the one game. So I guess in that respect, there hasn't been room to play the other guys. And, you know, Reeves, that's a position where basically nobody was getting hurt. Um, not counting Derek Forrest. So I guess that's it, but yes, I'm with you. It feels like, again, no, you know, Bill Belichick makes personal mis- mistakes or coaching mistakes. Yeah. It but, but yeah, it's just, you know, the ones that stand out that we all could see in advance. It's like, well, then why, 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 why didn't, why couldn't they, why couldn't they see it? Um, all right, let me let me get to my last one here. I, I don't even know what I'm at at this point because I've sort of freelanced a little bit. But he, okay, here's what I'll say. This isn't really a question, but we're going to go off the grid here a little bit. We're, 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 I'm not going to ask you what the name's going to be because obviously we have no idea. But I don't know if it's because of um, uh, I I think I always kind of liked it, and maybe it's because they've had to you know we've had to go with this idea for the last week or so of these replacements coming in. But I have to say, I, I think I've, I think I'm settling on the Washington Sentinels as what I would pick. If I could pick it, I think it's a cool name. It represents sort of the, the, the nature of the city and the area, you know, in terms of the government and the military and, but it does it in a way that's not like overbearing. It's a, you know, a protector kind of a situation. It sounds cool. And I'm fine getting past the movie I mean, you know, it's not, I mean, Mighty Ducks was silly and sounded cartoonish. Sentinel sounds pretty cool. So I don't really know what I'm even saying here or, or, or thinking, yeah. but I'm just saying I'm, I'm putting my money on the Sentinels, which I assume is not, is no prayer in hell. I just wanted to say that out loud. Um, that, that, that was all. I, I think it's because of all this replacement player talk. I was like, you know what? Screw it. Let's go. I, Shane Falco can be the quarterback and I'm down with the Sentinels. Let's go. Well, it would fit the theme of the last few weeks, that's for sure. For the record, I think the name will be Commanders. I think there's yeah. a lot to suggest that that's the direction we're going in. You know, right. who the heck knows? What, what I think has become really interesting, though, with the name thing is, and maybe this is just me, I feel like it has lost a lot of juice. And maybe the juice comes back come the offseason. But, I mean, I've been a fan of this team my entire sporting life. And I'm I'm not that interested in the name thing right now. Like what there, there's been some stuff that's that's uh, made the rounds on social media lately. I'm kind of like whatever. Like I want to hear about the season. I want to talk about the season. The, the, the name thing. I, I think the team. You know that YouTube making the brand video backfired so badly. I think the team learned a lesson from that. You have heard next to nothing about the name change these last few months, and I think there's a reason for that. I, I think the team kind of sensed uh, a lot of the fan base, not everyone, but a lot of the fan base growing fatigued by this you know this obviously has taken a while which i'm fine with but you know it has taken a while and i just don't sense a lot of like oh i can't wait to see what the name is i sense a lot of oh yeah they still don't have a name when is that going to get resolved you know there's almost like a snarkiness now to the whole name change conversation again maybe that maybe it goes back to being an intriguing topic for most people come you know january february but um right now i feel like this thing may have gone on um one year too long or you know, one quarter of a season for too long because I, I I just don't sense a lot of um, energy for this debate right now. I, I agree, and you know what? It's amazing how, and I'm not forcing anything. This is the reality. 
no matter what the topic is with this group, everything at some point comes back to the owner. And the reason I say that is because people kept saying, what's taking so long? And what's taking so long is nothing. This is the process. The process takes a year to 18 months. I, we, you know, nobody, nobody needs to hear me talk about this again, but we did a whole thing on this earlier in the year. And you listen to experts talk about this. The problem is that because the owner was steadfast in saying, I will never change his name. He, did no legwork in advance, even though everybody was like, okay, look, realistically, at some point, you may have to do something. So maybe it makes sense to do a study, spend some money, put out some shekels to ask these marketing companies, what's the thing so that whenever the time would come, you would be prepared. But instead, they literally started from scratch. And now you're right, even beyond the the video fiasco, which definitely was a thing and only was made worse when Tanya Snyder goes on Adam Schefter's podcast and he takes her down the wrong path and that was a thing yeah they had to they had to stop that because that became a mess and now you're right now we're kind of like eh, whatever i mean i'm not saying keep it as the football team but at the same point whatever i mean it, it is kind of so, so that was another snyder thing similar to as we talk about the quarterbacks you know dwayne haskins if if they never picked dwayne haskins or if ron rivera I assume felt compelled to give Dwayne Haskins a shot last year. I don't know, maybe he liked them, but it, whatever. I think he felt compelled to do it. That has put them back further. I mean, whether they would have taken who somebody else at number two last year in the draft, we don't have to go through that. But like, it always comes back to the owner about where he's, uh, you know, about his involvement with all these things. I, to that end, I have one more thought of a topic. But if you need to go, tell me because I've kept you way too long. No, I can give you another few minutes. Sure. The stadium talk has come up in the last few days. The Washington Post had a story about team officials talking to Virginia state officials about it and about Loudoun County and Prince William County and whatever. Did you, I assume you saw the article? You're on yeah. top of everything. Um, I, look, I'm not dismissing the reporting. Obviously they did, they got some, you know, they, it was a fine report. I mean, they, they, they did what, you know, they, they updated the situation to a degree, this, that, and the other. I think in a general sense, it was, a bit of a whatever. I mean, okay, team officials are talking to state officials about uh, about a possible state. Well, I mean, I hope so. I mean, <laughs> you know, they got to do something at some point with somebody, right? And yes, they do have until 2027. So it's not a rush, but at the same point, it's not just you snap your fingers and build a stadium. It does take time in advance to plan in all kinds of ways before you even put a shovel in the ground. Um, and we'll see. We still don't know what, what what's viable with... Uh, are the RFK site seems like it's not great, but you know, who knows? I mean, if, if, if there's, if there's a swing in the government, in the Congress or Senate over the next few years, maybe that changes things, who knows? Um, and what have you, um, you know, they don't have to, you know, the 2027, they, they own the place. It's just an agreement they made with PG County to stay there through that time. So they could stay, but here, here, I guess is my, my point or my, my wonder is all this talk about where is he going to go? I don't think Dan Dan Snyder clearly has no leverage right now from a, uh, you know, he, he's, you know, the least popular guy in, 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 in town, every, you know, there was obviously more stories this week going back to um, the culture and the building and things like that. I don't, I don't, oh, I, I almost keep thinking the more I think about this, that like maybe their best move for now is to just put money into the current place. Every, no location to me is interesting. Uh, any of these locations to me, I find unappealing. Uh, the current one is, 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 as well, but like, he's not going to, I don't think any municipality is going to give him a good deal, I wouldn't think. And I, I don't know. I mean, 
maybe the best move for now is just to put more money into the stadium. I don't, I know that's in a completely unappealing view, but until, I don't know, until he either gets further away from where we're at now or something else, I, I don't, I don't like any of the options that are being here that I keep hearing about, unless you tell me the RFK side's in play, which at this point it is not. Yeah. I mean, I think that he has to, at some point swallow the pill of, he may have to pay for this whole thing himself because I think especially in today's economy, good luck trying to get a municipality to put pay for a stadium, you know? So I think that's a big thing. You know, I think they're trying to tie some of this to sports gambling. So maybe they can use that to help to fund the construction of the stadium. I I know I'm on an Island on this. I don't think the stadium has to be in DC for the new stadium to be a success. I I personally think that that's a very overrated aspect of all of this. I think what matters is that the stadium is good, is that the stadium is surrounded by good, i.e., you know, isn't just this isolated thing in the middle of nowhere, but is a thing that is a part of a bigger thing in terms of, you know, downtown shopping and retail, et cetera, a Washington football museum, that kind of a thing. Uh, You have to have a Metro stop by the stadium. So I think those things all matter more. I think wherever you put the stadium, the traffic is going to be brutal. This idea that like uh, some spots are better than others in terms of traffic, maybe, but traffic in this area is just bad. So wherever you put the stadium, traffic is going to be a problem. People complain about the traffic at FedEx right now. You don't think traffic for a downtown stadium in DC is going to, is is not going to be a problem. Like it's going to be bad. So I don't think that matters. They just got to get this right in terms of, you know, what the stadium looks like, what is near the stadium, and all of the problems with FedEx not be problems with the new stadium. But yeah, this whole thing is taking forever. And in the meantime, until you can get this right, you're going to be where you're at. And I think what's becoming clearer and clearer is that any notion of the new stadium being up and running prior to the ending of the current lease, that's not happening. Like if you just do like basic logic and you apply that to this, how are you going to have a new stadium up and running by 2027 at this point? You know, it's it's almost 2022 right now. They well, don't I even mean, have anything. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, p- part of what stood out about the Post article was how it feels like we're not anywhere. Like, it's not so much yeah, right. whatever, whether, whatever you tell me where, where it is. There's there's no indication that anything is yeah. happening quickly. So, but no. even, if it, even if today they said it's going to be put in, pick your place. Okay, you still have to go through the, you know. Whatever the architects do and the government stuff and all that stuff before you even start building, but that takes time. So you need to start getting getting going here. And it doesn't feel like they're anywhere on this topic. You're you're a Maryland guy, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know about you. I'm not interested. At, forget my job as a consumer. If you put this thing over Prince William or Loudon, I get the, those people say, "Well, I don't want to go to FedEx Field." I get that, but like that's where it's been. So it is what it is. If they go over there, I just think a lot of Maryland fans are going to say, screw this. I'm going to Baltimore. It's right up the street. They're functional. They win. They have Lamar Jackson, even though that's a short-term thinking. I, you know what? I, I, I'm out on this franchise. They've, they've ruined it for me. I don't need to go. I think the going to Virginia, that's why it's a, it's a problem. It's, unless it's something closer to the Beltway, which I don't know where that would even be. So th- that's the part of this to me. Almost like maybe that's why I keep coming back to maybe the, the simple option is, FedEx Field, if they would just win games and fix the plumbing, uh, you know, I mean, it's fine. Yeah, but the problem, too, is FedEx Field as a brand is just such a dead brand. And right. it's it's a brand that has been ripped by so many people for so long. The team itself has essentially told you that FedEx Field is bad. 
to say, okay, instead of building a new stadium, we're going to stay where we are and just make it better. I just, I think that's a hard sell. It doesn't mean that you couldn't do it, but I just think that that's a really hard sell. It almost would have to be that you demolish FedEx field and build a new stadium on that site, which seems kind of bizarre, right? Like, why would you go through the trouble of doing that? But it almost feels like you need to do that. Um, there's no easy answer. I mean, I, I still cracks, it, it cracks me up. We first learned that Danny was looking to build a new stadium in August of 2014 when Dan did a sit-down interview with Chick Hernandez. That was August of 2014. It is almost 2022, and we seemingly are no closer today to the next Washington Stadium than we were in August of 2014. This whole process has taken forever, and it just has felt so futile. And even now, you know, Jason right now has been with the team for multiple years. I think he's having a hard time engineering this thing in terms of trying to figure out the next stadium. It's not easy. There's no simple answer. And, you know, no one wants to pay for it. So you tell me what they're going to do. It, it's a tough spot. It's <laughs> they, they may be, whether they want to or not, they may be at FedEx for a while. What you're outlining may end up being what ends up happening, whether the team or anyone else wants it to be the case. Yeah, I mean, I'm not arguing it should be. It's just like uh, if, if, if yeah. and also we didn't even discuss like we don't even know where how how uh, liquid Dan Snyder is these days because you know he just bought out his other part his other two partners and FedEx is not, you know I don't know where he's at financially. I'm not saying he's uh needs needs to do a bake sale, but I'm just saying you know it's a lot of money to throw into a stadium and I don't know what you know DC you know who's giving him the money. I, I don't I don't know. Um, all right, Al. Uh, you have been beyond charitable with your time. This is what happens. I bring people in under the illusion that we're going to have a basic conversation and then we keep them forever, but hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, at Al Galdi on Twitter, the Al Galdi podcast. He also does the Nats chat podcast with Mark Zuckerman, but I, I have a feeling you guys aren't having a ton to talk about these days because that's a whole thing. Yeah, we've done a, a few off-season episodes of the Nats Chat podcast, but yes, uh, MLB has gone dark, and so unfortunately there has not been much baseball to be discussing. But yeah, Al Galdi podcast, new episode out each weekday, Monday through Friday, talk a lot about the Washington football team, and I uh, appreciate you having me on very much. Yeah, and I say this not because he's sitting in front of me, but I mean, like, legitimately, like, you know, Al, Al, Al is one of the best in town, who's uh, somebody whose opinion I actually want to hear. I don't say that about everybody, but Al is somebody I do. So uh, go listen to that. And uh, Al, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, man. All right. Many thanks to Al Galdi for his time. Thanks to everybody here for checking out the podcast. Uh, I will be uh, back this week. Obviously, the game is late Tuesday night. So we're probably looking at a Wednesday podcast. Uh, we'll have to figure out w what's going on with that, but we'll work that out. Obviously, the, you know, the, the Christmas holidays are coming up, New Year's as well. So hope everybody is doing well. Stay safe. Have fun. Enjoy the people around you. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, get, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to work through all this. And hopefully there'll be a game on Tuesday. And, uh, you know, Washington needs a win uh, without question. There's still games going on. Uh, that that are pertinent to the playoff situation as i'm talking so it's hard to, to see where we're at but obviously get a win in washington uh takes a little more control of its situation but that's it for now ben standing signing off until next time see ya